Inside the Groove is the story of the music of Madonna, how she wrote, performed and recorded some of the finest pop songs of the past 40 years. I'm taking a short break. Don't worry, I'll be back with new stories soon. But I wanted to delve into the archives, remix them slightly and give those stories to you once more as we find out just why we are still talking about Madonna today. So sit back, relax as we go Inside the Groove. Given that Borderline is one of my favourite Madonna songs, it's probably no surprise that it was one of the earliest episodes that I did for the podcast. And what I particularly enjoyed about this particular episode is the fact that I also got to talk about some other things to do with the production, in particular the Lindrum, which would have such an impact on the 80s music scene, and certainly that first album by Madonna. And that's possibly one of the reasons for the success of the podcast, is that it started to appeal beyond just fandom and into people that just wanted to know how music was made. So I'm representing this episode to you now exactly as it was without any edits. If you're enjoying listening to these old episodes and just want to say thank you, then go to insidethegroove.co.uk where you can become a patron and get these in advance and you can also buy some merchandise. And, but, you know, I'm just loving delving back into the archives and even though I do cringe slightly at some of the storytelling here, it's, well, hopefully still very interesting. Borderline by Madonna was the fifth single from the singer's debut and eponymous album and would be the track that turned Madonna from underground dance artist with growing chart impact into one of the most influential and powerful pop artists of 1984 and beyond. Aided by a stunning video directed by Mary Lambert, who would go on to direct some of Madonna's most impactful promo films of the next decade, Madonna established herself as a visual artist who would dominate MTV. That video would portray Madonna as both the streetwise fly girl and the budding supermodel, decked out in Christian Lacroix and perhaps unwittingly mirroring the transition the star was making in real life as she embarked upon a journey from wannabe to icon. Surprisingly, Borderline was a relative flop on its release in many other territories, including the UK, where as her third single, it missed the top 40, charting at only number 56. However, as Madonna's star ascended over the following 24 months, the British public gained an insatiable appetite for the singer, which would eventually see her with multiple concurrent songs in the top 10, and Borderline would rise to number 2 in the early months of 1986. The song story is also the story of Madonna signing by Sire Records, a subsidiary of Warner Bros, and the following songwriting and production sessions that would conceive her first album, aided by the masterful input of R&B supremo Reggie Lucas. I'll be looking at the key characters who helped launch Madonna's career, including the musicians who played on Borderline, one of whom I'm about to reveal an extraordinary piece of information which seems to have eluded, well, everyone up until this point. As well as an early demo, I'll be playing you isolated tracks from the recording session and giving you a history lesson of a small black and orange and wooden box which, like Madonna, would change pop music forever. So, for now, all you have to do is sit back, listen, keep pushing, keep on pushing, as we go Inside the Groove. Hi. 
Hello, my name's Edward Russell, and welcome to episode four of Inside the Groove. I'd like to thank you once again for all your wonderful feedback on Twitter and Instagram. And lots of you have come up with suggestions of the songs you'd like me to talk about in future editions, and I'll address that at the end of this particular podcast. But thank you also for the really positive feedback you've been giving. It's been almost overwhelming. And I've been trying to work out why it is that it's resonating with people. And I think it's partly because music production has become quite formulaic and people are harkening back to times where uh, there was a lot more creativity and um, envelope pushing going on. But I think it's also, it's about time that we actually sat down and analyzed Madonna as a producer, as a songwriter, and also as a singer. So this week we're talking about, well, it's one of my absolute favorite Madonna songs, and I know it's a favorite of many of you as well. Um, It's not a song that she wrote herself or even produced herself, but her vocal performance is outstanding. So here we go talking about Borderline. Borderline, take one. This demo mix of Borderline is dated the 18th of February 1983, but to trace the history of the song you have to go back about a year earlier. Famously, Madonna had moved to New York from Detroit four years earlier. Hard up, but desperate for success, Madonna had tried a variety of methods to try and reach the top and become a star. By this point, she'd recorded a four-track demo with former boyfriend Stephen Bray, who'd go on to write huge hits with her such as Into the Groove and Express Yourself. Desperate to get the attention of record producer and DJ Mark Kamins, who sometimes performed at Danceteria, where Madonna also sometimes worked, she'd been trying to get him to listen to a demo of her song Everybody. In turn, he told his friend and colleague Michael Rosenblatt about the girl who'd been desperate for him to play her demo cassette. Michael had been at Danceteria one night and had seen Madonna. He told her that he was the head of A&R for Sire Records and suggested that she come and see him. And the next day she did that. She played him her demo and he wasn't particularly impressed, but he had been won over by her personality. And in fact, when he asked her what she wanted to do, expecting, as most artists, for her to say she just wanted to get her art out, she told him that she wanted to rule the world. You've probably heard stories about the signing. Uh, head of Sire Records, Seymour Stein, had been in hospital, hooked up to a drip at the time, but she had turned up and she'd pretty much forced him to put his signature onto the contract. A few months later, they released Mark Heyman's production of Everybody, and there was a deal for a potential album. And, well, that's where the rest of the story kicks in. Given the reasonable success of that single Everybody, Madonna was assigned to record an album. Michael Rosenblatt brought in producer Reggie Lucas, who was at the time um, a a very successful R&B producer. And we're using the term R&B in its traditional sense of rhythm and blues, and of course, mainly working with black artists on the disco and funk scene. 
Reggie's given a number of interviews over the years where he talks about his working with Madonna, including the first times he went to visit her. And at the time, she was staying at Jean-Michel Basquiat's apartment in New York whilst he was in Paris. She had five songs ready, including, of course, Lucky Star and Burning Up. Everybody had been a success, but Michael had wanted Reggie to bring something else to Madonna's artistry and particularly to help her with her vocals. The first song they recorded together, which kind of set the template for the album, was Physical Attraction, which was actually a song that Reggie wrote specifically for Madonna. But they still needed more songs, and that's how Borderline came about. Reggie wrote the song specifically again for the artist. His starting point was one of his own compositions, a song for Stephanie Mills called Never Knew Love Like This Before, which had been a hit at the end of 1980. You may be familiar with the song, particularly if you saw series two of Pose in 2019, where the song features quite significantly in one of the episodes, and Dean Gantz's Rhodes piano at the start of it really does sound very familiar. I'm gonna play it for you now. song. Reggie has been very positive about his experience of working with Madonna. He said that she was very creative and full of ideas and that she was also very driven and hardworking and would always be at the studio when she needed to be. So what can I tell you about Borderline? Well it runs at 120 beats per minute. Uh, the verses in the key of G. The chorus is in the key of D but there's some sort of rogue chords that go on. Um, not just in the chorus but also in the bridge. It has some chords which uh, are minor, but they come back again and they're major, which is something that the Beatles did quite often, as did ABBA, and it gives that kind of sort of unsettling feel, which I guess suits the, the theme of the lyrics, really. So let's listen to the isolated tracks, um, starting as ever with, with the drums. Here you go, this is what they sound like. That's the drumming of session player Art Wood, but you'll be hard-pressed to find his name on the credits for Madonna's album, or indeed many albums at all, especially when you consider how many of them he actually played on. In 1979, Art went to the house of Roger Lynn, a computer technician who was building a new drum machine, and Art played uh, some drum hits, which Roger then recorded. The sounds were sampled and turned into digital information, which was a technology that Lynn himself was pioneering at the time. Art recorded a kick drum, a snare drum, tom-toms, hi-hat cymbals and various other percussive instruments, such as a tambourine. At the time, Roger Lynn was creating a drum machine, and it was the first in existence not to use synthesized sounds, but to use actual recorded drum sounds. It was released in 1980 as the LM1, and it had quite a high price tag of $5,000, so only a few studios managed to actually acquire one. However, it would be used in some fundamental recordings in 1980, and particularly 1981, including this song you're about to hear. Don't you It was Human League's Love Action that would be the first song to take the Lynn drum into the top 10, and effectively Artwood's drumming. The LM1 was so fundamental to the sound of their album Dare that they redubbed former single The Sound of the Crowd with the Lynn drum before the album was actually issued. 
This revolutionary drum machine was used by practically every pop artist over the next five to ten years, meaning that Artwood's drumming would appear on so many hits throughout the 1980s and beyond. I've tried to find out more about Art, including a picture of him, but I've been unsuccessful so far. However, I put it to you that he has featured on more 1980s recordings, perhaps beyond the 1980s as well, than any other musician. His drums, albeit in sample form, feature on so many hits. Here's a few examples of the songs that also include the Lindrum Machine. I want to break free. The Lindrum would also turn up on another Queen song, Radio Gaga, plus it would also spurn a whole new dance genre. High Energy would take over where disco left off, and the drum programming from this particular song would be used across numerous tracks in the future. The Lindrum sound would be fundamental to some key albums released in the 1980s, including in particular the Thriller album by Michael Jackson. Prince would also make a significant use of the original LM1 machine. It's across so many of his key tracks, particularly when dubs cry, and he used it throughout his entire career. So many big names use the Lindrum, um, such as Tina Turner, Paul McCartney, even ABBA use it in their song The Day Before You Came. And fundamentally, it's part of the whole Stock Aitman Waterman experience with songs such as this. Stock Aitken and Waterman actually made a bit of a joke of it and the drums were credited on their records as A. Lin. Well, he should have been Artwood. Although effectively, the Lin drum also had a facility where you could take out the drum sounds and replace them with chips uh, that had other drum sounds on it. So uh, a lot of the songs actually feature another drum as well, but I don't think that stands in the way of my rather interesting fact. Reggie would use the Lindrum on all his compositions with Madonna. It was the first time he'd actually used a drum machine. Um, some songs, such as Lucky Star, also feature some live percussion as well. But of course, there's so much more to Borderline than just the drums. Take a listen to this fantastic bass line. That's keyboardist Dean Gantz playing the then cutting-edge ARP 2600 uh, synthesizer. But there's more to this bass line than you might originally realise. Um, it's also supplemented by a bass guitar. That's bassist Anthony Jackson. He's playing so tightly. It really supports and supplements the synth bass line, which had already become a signature sound of Madonna in that first album. And I guess having the bass guitar there as well sort of gives it a slightly more organic feel and adds a bit of beef to the overall track. That's two guitars, both being played by Reggie Lucas himself. So, with the drum machine, the synth bass and those rhythm guitars, you've got the fundamental Madonna sound, which would be across pretty much all of her tracks right up until the end of 1989. Next up you've got the beautiful sound of the Rhodes piano, 
the Fender Rhodes um, is not actually a synthesizer. It's kind of like a real piano, but it's kind of using electromagnets and, and metal uh, strings to create the sound that becomes very familiar. It was created by Harold Rhodes, who died in 1959 and so would have had no idea of the impact his instrument would have on pop music. It's in so many um, 1970s songs, particularly disco songs, um, and still used today. It's lightweight so it could travel on tour with groups which possibly made it more desirable to use in tracks rather than a standard piano. However, there is a real piano also featured in Borderline. Needless to say, there are a number of synths in Borderline, including the synth strings which you can hear here. There's also some synth horns played on the Prophet synthesizer, um, a harpsichord-like sound uh, in the bridge, and that synth figure that features uh, near the beginning. Um, but now I want to concentrate on the vocals, um, starting with, of course, those fantastic backing vocals. Keep on pushing my love over the borderline. According to the liner notes for the album, the background singers on the tracks included Brenda White, Chrissy Faith and Gwen Guthrie. Gwen Guthrie most famous of course for her song Ain't Nothing Going On But The Rent. But of course what is the foundation of the song is Madonna's fantastic vocal. I think it's one of her very best. It's so expressive. And when you consider she didn't have much success in front of the, the film camera, I think it's the microphone studio where she shows off the best of her acting abilities, as you can hear here. Something in the way you love me won't let me be. I don't want to be your prisoner, so baby, won't you set me free? Absolutely stunning. Now, the key to good singing is having tension in your body anywhere apart from the mouth and the throat, ideally in the diaphragm, which is the muscle below the lungs that holds everything together. And Madonna does not sing like that in the 1980s, and that's why we get that really almost strangle-sounding tone. It's, it's still astounding, even if it's not technically what you would be recommended to do. Um, but it's just creating such a wonderful, wonderful tone. 30 years later, in an interview for Rolling Stone magazine, Seymour Stein gave this comment about the track. I dared to believe this was going to be huge beyond belief, the biggest thing I'd ever heard after I heard Borderline. The passion that she put into that song, I thought, there's no stopping this girl. All of her energy, my God, I never saw anybody work this hard in my life. And then make it look so easy. Now, the multi-track has got two vocal takes from Madonna on it. One is called Scratch, and this is an example of how um, vocals were often recorded back in the day. Um, a singer would record the song maybe three or four times, um, perhaps even more sometimes, and then an engineer or even the producer would comp together all the best bits into another track. Now, some singers would perform in a different way and some singers would then do a little drop-in if a particular line was out of tune or could be sung a bit better. And without any doubt, Madonna's vocals would have been comped from lots of takes just to give the absolute best performance. Uh, the scratch vocal is still on there. It's almost the same. There's a few deviations. And I'm just going to play you this lovely bit at the end where she's talking into the mic. What? I can't hear you. 
Borderline would go on to be, of course, a definitive Madonna track, though I've always felt that the artist has never really liked it that much herself. She did comment at the time that um, the release of her Like a Virgin album was delayed because Borderline was still doing its thing in the charts, as she put it, and, and she performed it on her Virgin tour, but then didn't perform it again until, I think it was about 2009 in the Sticky and Sweet tour, where she did a sort of rock version of it. Um, that was until 2016 when Madonna did a performance on the Jimmy Fallon show of Borderline in front of Barack Obama. It's a slightly slow version uh, of the song and it's great, it's really lovely, but Madonna sings it a whole octave lower, which I guess everybody's voice ages, but it's a reminder of how her voice changed so much with the Evita training. Um, it was initially great, but um, fundamentally had a, what I think is a negative effect on her voice. But you know what? We've still got the original. It seems that Madonna wasn't initially too pleased with Reggie's production. She took Borderline, along with a couple of tracks, to her then-boyfriend and record producer DJ Jellybean, with whom she'd recorded Holiday, and they did some remixing of the songs. Reggie was philosophical about this when he did an interview about 30 years later, and said that he did his part and then somebody did their part too. Reggie passed away in May 2018, Madonna commented at the time, Sad to hear that Reggie Lucas is gone, an important part of my musical past. R.I.P. Now, as ever, I'm going to leave you with something exciting to hear. Um, but thank you again for your comments, and please keep listening, and please keep telling people about this podcast. Uh, as I said at the beginning, some of you have suggested songs that you'd like me to cover, and I'm, I'm taking them all into account. Um, I can only really do it where there are demos or multi-track uh, recordings of the songs available to me, and there's actually quite a limited amount of multi-tracks spread about on the internet. Um, but I've got a plan, and, you know, keep making your suggestions and if it's the same choices I make then you can say that you had an influence <laughs> um, the next episode will be about a song of which there's a lot to speak about and a lot of history as I'll be covering her track Ray of Light for now I'm going to play you out with a sort of mix down that I've done of uh, an acoustic version I guess you could call it not quite uh, of the track I hope you enjoy it thank you very much for listening to Inside the Groove I'm going to